0: Welcome to Heal. On today's episode, Greg Peterson delights and challenges us with his no BS passion for permaculture and climate restoration. Join us to go as far as we can in an hour to confront how can we heal the earth? I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. If you're game, I think we should dive right in because I kind of love where this conversation's already started.
1: <laughs> I'm here for you.
0: Exactly. And yeah, so my sister has this land and it's been her dream for 20 years to create something. Wellness Mm -hmm. retreat is not the right word at all. It's not really about that, but it's about sustainable architecture, sustainable living, growing and producing your own food, probably never a hundred percent, but like something we may, I could talk about it right now. When I um, was 22. I went down to Costa Rica and lived in a permaculture education center.
1: Ooh, I just called got Rancho
0: Mastatal. They still are in operation. They work with a couple partners. One is the Yestermorrow School of Vermont, which is a sustainable mm. architecture design um, education center, and then they mm-hmm. also work in partnership with the University of Washington and they do research in the forest, and they bought 80 hectares of virgin rainforest. Wow. And I went down there as a volunteer and did not know they'd only been there for nine months when I showed up in 2002.
1: Oh my gosh, wow. So it was like this
0: brand new idea, two people who um, Robin and Timo had met in Uruguay in the Peace Corps, and then they Mm -hmm. moved back to Seattle, and she was a uh, sommelier, and he was a pizza delivery guy. They literally saved (laughs) every penny and then Mm -hmm. bought the land in Costa Rica and they've built all kinds of cool things. They've got tree houses and composting toilets and, you know, but there was an original Tico house that was not off the grid and they started there and then they've been getting more and more off the grid as they go. And one of the things I loved and I got from them right away was originally they thought they were going to go do it, you know, go it alone. And they were like, wait a minute, community. And so they've actually been working inside the group of local farmers, which is about, mm-hmm. I don't know, now there's probably more at the time. There's about 150 substituents farmers in that region. Uh-huh. And they did all their educational programs. Like with the Esther school, all of the locals could just come be a part of it for free and learn. And then they would always have the oh, school nice. program be something for the community. So they built a community center. They built a soccer pavilion and then the Americans and the Westerners that would come pay for the course, they'd come down and do the course in Costa Rica and get to be in this beautiful untouched virgin rainforest on the Mm -hmm. side of a volcano. So that's where I got my roots in farming permaculture, sustainable architecture. And before I knew I was going to be a naturopathic physician, I thought I was going to do sustainable architecture. That's what I thought I was going to do. And here we are now I'm a doctor and, uh, but yeah, my sister's place is going to be a something. Nice. You don't quite know yet what I've talked about starting with building a yurt platform, but then I just I was am. poking around at tiny homes and container homes. Oh are, my gosh. You know, On
1: Netflix, there are five episodes of a container home TV show. Yeah. I get chills every time I share this with somebody because you think container, it's a box, right? Oh, it can be God. so
0: much more. Yeah. Oh,
1: These are, some of them are palaces.
0: Awesome. If you would,
1: you know, yeah. the, with the exception of a few places inside where you can still see the container as an architectural, you know, yeah. piece, the, Heidi and I went nuts. It's like, oh hell, we can do one of those. Totally. Yeah. So
0: maybe we should introduce you since we've gotten this far. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I've already
1: started taking I know. notes. This is
0: perfect. I yeah, talking. so welcome to Heal, listeners. Thanks for joining us into our private conversation, but this is just so great. I've got Greg Peterson here who is the how what's your title? Owner, operator, owner. inventor? Owner. Uh, owner,
1: operator, inventor, all good.
0: urbanfarm.org. Yep. Yep. And you've been based out of Phoenix, Arizona, Four, and you guys have been doing this, years. yeah, for mm-hmm. a long time. So, mm-hmm. tell me a bit about the origins. How did you become you?
1: Oh, my Lord. I think it happened in a previous life. Honestly, I came in with a knowing. And when I was nine years old, I got fish tanks because I was interested in raising fish. And what that turned into was a fish pond business when I was 15. So that was in 1974, where I was cleaning, servicing and building people's fish ponds. But what I was really interested in was aquaculture. Raising food, raising fish for people to eat.
0: Mm-hmm. This
1: was again mid 70s. Somebody said to me recently, Greg, how did you come upon this? And I said, Well, maybe it was Jacques Cousteau and you know, the world according to him. I don't know. Yeah. Around that same time, I wrote a paper on how we were overfishing the oceans mm-hmm. at the age of 15.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I have yeah. no idea.
0: When I was uh, 16, I -hmm. worked out that I could finagle my way out of high school by the end of my junior year. Uh And what I had to do was take two English courses and two history social studies courses at the same time for junior and senior year. And Uh they all had term papers and projects.
1: Oh my gosh. (laughs) So
0: I managed to get my teachers all on board for me to do an independent study on the economic and environmental sustainability of our public lands. And I studied economics of the foresting and the use of lumber off of our federal forest lands. And then I did a whole thing on the public national parks and then I even ended up because I had a creative writing project I had to work into this. I had to do a multimedia presentation of prose writing with photography from a canoe trip in the oh provincial Algonquin Provincial Park in Canada with my dad. Oh. So I had this whole but I what ended up happening is I spent six months of my last year in high school producing this body of work. Wow. And then I went on to go to Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington, and mm-hmm. thought I was going to be a forestry major. That didn't turn out for very long. <laughs> I, I spent about three months in that program and went, eh this is not for me. And then I failed right. and went home to New Hampshire and became yeah, a chemistry because, major.
1: Because forestry back then is all about logging.
0: Yeah, I would have been working for the logging companies. And yeah. I was like, Oh no. Or no. I would be eating top ramen for the rest of my life, working for the forest service. So I kind of had, and the forest yeah. service still basically is working for the logging so, companies uh, at that there point. You go. So right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yep. Oh, wow. So there you were influenced we by have- Jacques Cousteau. Yeah.
1: Well, we, we, you know, there's been a few people lately that I've talked to that have deep roots in their in their knowingness, in their what they're supposed to be doing in the world. Yeah. And it's cool connect to connect with you.
0: Yeah, totally. Because I
1: too, because here's the thing for me, this this food adventure that I'm on has been my entire life. I knew before probably I was born that I was supposed to be doing this. And sometimes it's a gift. Most of the time it's a gift. Sometimes it's a curse because I can't get away from it. In fact, in 1984, so I did my fish pond stuff and along with the fish pond, I was actually building aquaculture systems for people in the 70s so that they'd raise their own, they could raise their own fish. And I gave everything up in 1970, 1984 when I bought a Macintosh computer and it's like, oh, I can make money with this. Uh-huh. So I, I, I had multiple tech companies from 84 to, to 04, but I never got away from the notion of and you've mentioned this word multiple times and I do not like this word, sustainable.
0: Okay, okay good, good.
1: You've talked about sustainable. That's the only, thi- only word we had yep. until I discovered permaculture in
0: 1991.
1: Yeah. I, I, somehow to this day, I do not know. A flyer for the per- local permaculture design course showed up in my mailbox in 1991. And it was like, oh my God. that I, this is like, this is the way I think. Yeah. Permaculture, permaculture I like to call the art and science of working with nature. How do we work in the flow of nature rather than against nature? My mentor and good friend, Toby Hemingway, who wrote Gaia's Garden when he was alive, used to say, um, nature always bats last. Yeah. I've known that my entire life. I've known that nature will always win. No matter how much technology we throw at it, how much we think we can do it better, our downfall, I wrote this in 1996, our downfall as a species is that we're arrogant enough to think we can control Mother Nature and stupid enough to think it's our job. Yeah. And that's what I've lived with. Yeah, I
0: know there's this is going to be the longest podcast episode I've (laughs) ever because I'm like, I want to talk to you for eight hours at least. So I do want to create the distinction between sustainable and permaculture because I think it's I I realize I just say that reflexively. I'm not thinking I'm not really because I actually do know the world of permaculture and what I was just going to tick in here for this is this episodes a It's a new topic. We haven't gone here yet on the heel podcast about food systems, farming, the Fealing world of system. the industrialist side of mm-hmm. health. We've stayed mostly in the health. We've gotten into emotions, spirituality, and physical health side of things, which is partially one of the reasons I wanted to start here with you because I can't think of anybody better to start this conversation mm-hmm. with than Thank you. you, Greg. But permaculture is to farming and food production, what naturopathic medicine is to medicine. They're identical philosophies mm. that you literally can take the word out about food and put in medicine. And it's like the same thing. And when you start right. reading about the people that really put this down on paper, they were all hanging out together, right? You've got Rudolf Steiner who worked in both sides of it. And then you go on from there with anthroposophical medicine. And then the whole farming industry side of that came out. And then by the way, also the Montessori school system. And there's just these roots and connections between all of it. And Mm -hmm. so very similarly, you know, that, and then I wrote a paper in med school. So we were in this, I can't remember the the class. And it was, the idea was we were supposed to take a patient's case and write it up inside of the philosophy of naturopathic medicine. Mm -hmm. And I decided that the patient was going to be the earth. And I wrote up a medical case paper oh God. of global warming and the fever and the infections and like the inner structure in the systems. They almost failed me on the paper because it was really? totally not the point at all. That's my inner rebellious nature where I'm like, of ah, course. I'm going to do this. I thought it was brilliant, but it wasn't really actually. Did you publish
1: me. it? You need to publish that.
0: I'm going to go dig it out. I will definitely dig it, dig out, it out and yeah. publish
1: it. That sounds yeah. brilliant.
0: It was really, of course
1: you pissed them off.
0: I know that's what we do though. (laughs) Those of us that are willing to fight for these things. Exactly. So then 2004, you're like, all right, I've been doing the tech thing. Was it a aha moment? What happened? No.
1: So I never got away from gardening. In fact, the house where I live, I've been here 31 years. The house where I live is called the urban farm. It's in North central Phoenix. It's a third of an acre. That's 80 feet wide by 160 feet deep. I bought it in 1989. So I, you know, and what helped me buy it was my technology stuff, but I bought it because I could garden here. And so the urban farm is, is a third of an acre. There's about 70 fruit trees on the property. The landscape is all edible or supports edibles we have chickens and uh, solar panels, rainwater and graywater harvesting. Basically, it is an organic showcase home for 30 years. So I never got a, inside of technology. I always had this hobby called permaculture, edible landscaping. Yep. So that's I never got away from it. And technology for me was the it was fun because Macintosh computers were fun. And, you know, I dove deep into making a living, because I've been self-employed my entire life since I mm-hmm. was 15. And so I, I do- dove into making a, a really nice, I didn't get rich from it, but a nice part-time living doing technology. Then I could spend my time here at the urban farm. In 1999, I actually decided to go back to college and get a degree. so I got my bachelor's and master's in 04 and06. And again, it's the curse and the gift. And I I think sometimes with the technology, I tried to run away Mm. from the gift. Yeah. Because let me tell you, I know enough about science and caring capacity to know where our civilization is going. Yeah. And it's disheartening. It is deafening. It is acutely painful when I stand in what I know about a simple thing called carrying capacity and the systems on the planet and how they are failing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sometimes I get to a point of so much anguish that I have to walk away.
0: That was one of the reasons why I actually had a hard time staying in environmental science, to Mm -hmm. be honest. So Mm -hmm. environmental, my passion for environmental everything and really my upgrade in language now I can say is, Living in harmony with the earth and myself,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, it is, it's not. And like we didn't do it, but to for me, what I get about sustainability is whatever idea that ever was. The bottom line is that ship has sailed. We're oh, we, we, sustainability ago. is not an option anymore. That's right. That's literally not an option. It's yep. it's climate reversal and sequestration. It's a complete like we are now the cancer patient who is sitting on the brink of a terminal illness with a few years to live. And we're Mm -hmm. staring at chemotherapy going, is the technology there? Will that work? Will that not work? Like, you know, and, and you can share more about what you see. And I am not an expert on the subject. This is my own just passion and view Mm -hmm. is like, I do think it's going to be a combination of technology and grassroots returning to the laws of nature. It's not going to be solely returning to the laws of nature, I mean, they will always be the foundation. Otherwise we're going to screw ourselves yet again. So like Mm -hmm. you can't, like you said, nature always wins, but, but no, sustainability isn't, isn't it. That ship has sailed.
1: So let's talk about that. Yeah. I haven't liked the word sustainability for a couple of decades. Now, remember our incandescent light bulbs? Yes. High energy use, high heat, little bit of light. Mm -hmm. And then they came out with a compact fluorescent light bulb. Not great but it used 90% less electricity. The compact fluorescent light bulb is the middle ground. Yep. Sustainability is the middle ground. Got it. Sustainability is the conversation that has people wake up. Yep. But sustainability never fixes anything. It simply sustains the mess that we've created. Sustainability doesn't do shit except hopefully wake us up.
0: I'm going to probably get in trouble for saying this, but sustainability sounds akin to most pharmaceutical interventions for chronic illness, (laughs) right? (laughs) Because you can take, a proton pump inhibitor to decrease your stomach acid when you have GERD, but you've now just shut off a major functioning of your digestive system that doesn't allow you to break your proteins down. It doesn't allow you to make neurotransmitters. You now become mm-hmm. mineral deficient, and many of my clients that come to me and have been on pro- proton pump inhibitors for you know twenty years, thinning oh, hair, losing hair, anxiety, yep. depression, and alcoholism is a strong because mm-hmm. because they they try and self medicate through other means, right. And they're just massively nutrient deficient. It sets them up from osteoporosis and we could keep going. That's the sustainable solution. Oh, right. <laughs> right? Exactly.
1: <laughs> That's exactly what I'm talking
0: about. Yeah, That's exactly
1: yeah. what I'm talking about. So when I discovered permaculture, they, in 1991, they introduced me to a term called regenerative. Every single human system on the planet, and I have been looking since 1991, and I challenge people out there to show me a system on the planet that is human created, Mm. that is regenerative. There are none. There are none. They are all degenerative. Every, and I, and I'm going to repeat this, every single human system that we have put in place is degenerative. That means over time, it breaks down. That is a linear system. Even if it's
0: a long length of time, it still breaks down. And we, one thing we know now is we don't have, we don't have time.
1: We don't have time. There's always, with a degenerative system, there is always an end. It always ends. Yep. Yep. Let that sink in. So in permaculture, I learned about regenerative. Now, when you look at natural systems, natural systems are regenerative. They recreate themselves over. And over and over again. And I have a question for you if they're not regenerating themselves, what happens?
0: Even if they die, something else takes its place and starts filling right in behind them.
1: Yes, well, and that's going to happen with us human beings. But right. what happens is, is if the if a, a natural system degenerates and goes it goes away. So really the whole conversation here is. Our human condition is terminal. Yep. You're right. We have cancer. Yep. And we're looking at chemotherapy, which most of the time kills people. Yep. I'm not an expert on that. Yep. But that's my sense of it. Yep. So when people talk about sustainability, I always try and have this piece of the conversation with them, just so that they can start thinking about regenerative systems, modeling what we do. And I didn't make this up. This came directly out of permaculture. And really permaculture is natural systems. Yeah. So in permaculture, what we do is we look at natural systems and then we mimic the natural systems. So our job really as human beings is to figure out how to mimic natural systems. And I'm a big believer that technology is it's not the where it's at. Got it. You know, I I was talking to a buddy of mine on text the other day, he was looking for trees for his property. And he made the comment, he said, Greg, if we plant a trillion trees on the planet that and, and work on making healthy soil, that pretty much fixes it. And I said, yeah. Yeah. And if you look at, you know, I've been studying this for years. And if you look at, there's a recent movie called Kiss the ground.
0: I was just, I'm literally, you pulled it out of my head. I was like, I was, yeah. Uh huh.
1: Yep. Kiss the ground. I have had multiple people reach out to me after watching that movie and they said, oh my God, Greg, that's what you've been talking about for decades. And it's like, yeah. yes. Yeah. Heal the soil. Yep. Plant trees.
0: So funny. Cause like, I mean, I know this and, and, you know, the parallels of my passions. I, I did transferred to actually had a little hop, skip and a jump through my college career. I went to the university of New Hampshire for three semesters, mm-hmm. started my chemistry program. And then I discovered natural powder out West because I was Ooh. a skier born and raised. And so I came out to Utah uh-huh. to visit an old ski racing buddy. And then I moved here. I was uh-huh. like, ha ah. ha So I did my last two years of college at the university of Utah. And when I got here, things about my program had were different than they were in New Hampshire. And so I needed these upper division credits, but they didn't have to be in my actual field of study. So I started exploring the catalog. What else would I want to do?
1: And interestingly
0: enough, I found in the biology department an organic farming course only taught in the summer. That was an upper division credit. And it was taught by one of my most influential dearest professors, Fred Montague, who is a diehard permaculture aquaponic farmer professor here was at the university of Utah. I don't know if he actually is still here and started there. And then I got into, he taught an environmental literature course that was actually reading like Wendell Berry and desert solitaire and like all the greats of the seventies and the eighties. And, and it was like, all I could do, Like, again, I couldn't get away from it. Here I am a professional chemistry major, but Mm -hmm. every elective I could fill in the gaps. Right. And that I didn't have any idea about medicine at that point. I did not have my sights. Actually, my primary career goal during college was to be a whitewater rafting guide. No. So that was what I was <laughs> nice. headed for. And I did that for yeah. five years. Ah, and, nice. you know, I taught skiing in the winters and I was a raft guide in the summer. And it only took me a little while, though, to realize I'd be sitting on the back of the raft and all I could do was talk about homeopathy and diet and nutrition. And I started to have this whole thing coming together about mm-hmm. my passion for the environment, but then recognizing the source of the environmental issues was a human being problem. And then I started to get into why are human beings the way that human beings are? And there's lots of different genres. We can answer that question. But the one that started to interest me was about the mind-body connection. Mm -hmm. And then that led me into natural medicine. And yet everything you're saying about permaculture and soil, what we say in natural medicine is you can palliate the symptoms even with natural medicine you can use green tea extract and probiotics and diets and you're just sustaining it's all in the sustainable level people will feel better their symptoms will get better but how you know you're palliating versus curing is as soon as you stop the treatment everything comes back Oh, what's curative is treating the soil and what we say is treating the terrain and somebody who's a tendency towards chronic disease has weak terrain and somebody who can drink mercury uh, and then walk out with no mercury toxicity has strong terrain. And it's an, it's comes uh, from actually anthroposophical medicine yeah, and Steiner who is also a farmer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it all goes back into that same space. And it's literally macrocosm microcosm as above, so below, you know, you can just see the same parallels that run through, which of course is no, re- no, no, accident why I'm still really passionate about permaculture. Although right. the irony is I personally hate gardening, <laughs>
1: uh, 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 but
0: I love cooking and I love putting up food. Yeah, so if go. somebody else will do yep. the garden bit, I will do the food bit all day long. No yeah. problem. I just need well, we a teammate. Need you. Yeah. We need you. Awesome. Cause somebody has yeah. got to do something with all the food production. Totally. Exactly.
1: Well, and, and you know, the gut biome, I'm sure you know this, the gut biome and soil biome is very similar. Yeah it's very similar. In fact, when we harvest stuff out of the yard, I don't take, I don't wash it clean and take the skin off. No.
0: And it's actually supposed to be that our soil biome is part of our familial biome. And if you Mm -hmm. think about tribal living, you would have been raised in the same dirt as your grandparents and your great grandparents. Mm -hmm. Most people didn't travel further than five miles away from their own home. And that whole ecosystem was important and integral. And And now we know about gut neurology. Like there's a new Mm. field that's come out of neuro gastroenterology. And it's literally the scientific study. And then I was just in a conference last weekend that was talking about the other side of this fungal infections, mold infections, Mm. organophosphates, pesticides, herbicides, the drinking water, all that in, in the impact of our body's health, Yeah, the relationship to Parkinson's disease, to Alzheimer's disease, to autism, it's like huge. And at one level, you can say those are mold Candida infection issues. But then, when you recognize why the mold and the candida were able to set up shop, it's the increase of pesticides and herbicides in our diets and our drinking water and the lack of a strong soil biome. We move around the planet. We may not even be with our family who we're raised by, which you're supposed Mm -hmm. to swap your bugs like kissing swaps bugs and cuddling with your family members swaps bugs, breathing the same air swaps bugs. Like, that's actually how it's supposed to be. Yeah. You know? It's why I think my theory, I don't know if this is true, that married couples that are together for a really long time start looking like each other because their oh, microbiome yeah. start merging. Uh, <laughs> but that's just my theory.
1: <laughs> oh, that's an interesting thought. That's so yeah,
0: so thought. the soil biome is incredibly important in permaculture. Yeah.
1: Kiss the ground. That's where we started on Kiss this, the ground, this the
0: movie. Yep.
1: 30 minutes ago, right? <laughs>
0: totally. At least 45 um, thoughts ago.
1: Yeah. Go watch the movie, Kiss the Ground. Yeah. That really explains it. Mm -hmm. And Maria Rodale wrote a book on soil, and I can't remember what the name of it is, but about 10 years ago, she wrote a book on fixing the soil biome. If we fix the soil, if we use organic methods to grow food and went all organic planet-wide, in theory, it should fix the problem. Yeah. Too much carbon, planting a trillion trees pulls carbon out of the atmosphere. Yeah.
0: So here's the maybe hundred dollar to trillion dollar question. Uh-oh. What as an individual myself sitting here, forty years old at my desk ah. in my suburban home, mm-hmm. who every time I put another piece of plastic in the garbage, literally cringe because I've seen mm-hmm. the garbage patch of the Pacific Ocean because I sailed from Hawaii to Los Angeles and oh. literally our boat ran into a plastic picnic table. We hit a telephone pole, which was terrifying, you know, some 1500 miles out at sea. And I didn't even see the breadth and depth of it. It was just, Mm. just sailing across the ocean. What I saw, you know, and mostly what you see is a very small percentage because most of the plastic floats about four to six feet underneath the surface. If it hasn't already been micronized and it's in tiny little bits. Yeah. A whole nother side of my passion is, you know, sailing and environmental.
1: Yeah. So there's a book out there called the world without us. Mm Mm-hmm. About 15 years ago, I can't remember who the author is. We could look it up. Yeah. There's a whole chapter on micronized plastics, Plastics. how it is impacting our planet. Yeah. So what can we do? So what do we do? Oh, Lordy. (laughs) So we can do the best that we can do. Mm -hmm. Definitely eat organic, support organic, buy organic, grow your own. You know, if you're growing your own, you're not so we we eat a lot of salads here and we grow a lot of salads. But during the time of year when we don't have salads, we buy lettuce from the store and it comes in a plastic container. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we cringe
0: every time. Yeah, every
1: time. And that's
0: one of the things that I I get in a big conflict about. Now, I still eat organic almost exclusively Mm because I I know way too much about it. Right. I also recognize that I am in the economic position to do that, although I will say I started eating organic long before I officially could afford it. I just committed to it, it. and I shifted my budget towards it, right? Mm -hmm. But I know that that is a conversation that is not accessible to a lot of people. You know, know, um, there was
1: this 12-year-old that gave a uh, TED Talk maybe 15 years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. It was an amazing TED Talk. Go look. I can't remember his name, but okay. go look it up.
0: Kendra, the producer, she'll knock that one out.
1: <laughs> All right, cool. Basically, what he said was you can pay now Oh yeah. by buying organic food, or you can pay later at the oh, doctor,
0: yeah. Yeah. in the hospital. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, you know, I've I've been eating, well, I've been eating organic for 20, 20 plus years, but yeah. I recently, interestingly, had and it had to do with COVID and being locked down, I had some interesting things happen with my health. So part of the reason that I'm here is I have Lyme disease. And that's a whole interesting long story in itself, but I've had it for 20 plus years. I have this, if anybody ever sees me and I'm you know, speaking or something, that's the Lyme disease. It's And
0: his hand is shaking because we have audio.
1: My hand, my right hand yeah. shakes all the time. See, my left hand isn't. that's the Lyme disease. And I have tinnitus and that's the Lyme disease. And 20 years ago, I was diagnosed with what they called an essential tremor Mm -hmm. two different times. And they said, here's a drug. We don't know what it is. And it's like, oh, gee, thanks. Yeah. Medical system. Well, it turns out it was Lyme. And so I have been working with a Lyme practitioner here in Phoenix for five years. And when we got locked down in March of 2000 and last year, 2020, We got locked down and we started eating exclusively at home because, you know, we're not going to go out. Both both my partner, Heidi, and I have Lyme and we weren't going to go out because we didn't want to put ourselves at at more risk. So we entirely ate at home. We ate out of the yard and organic from the grocery store. Yeah, it costs a little bit more. But and so back to the Lyme practitioner, I'm seeing her regularly. And in October of 2020, she did a blood draw and we did, you know, we did about every year and a half, we do a blood test and the blood test came back. And when I met with her, she said, Oh my God, Greg, I have never seen blood work out of you that looks this great. Hmm. And the only thing I can correlate it back to is eating home, eating organic.
0: Like a hundred percent, not even restaurant food, not any, yeah,
1: totally. yep, No, not even restaurant food. And, you know, so that, that has made an interesting difference in my life. Now uh, I did get COVID Mm -hmm. on January 4th of this year. I got got diagnosed with COVID. I had symptoms for about four hours. A week later I tested negative. Mm -hmm. And what I say, and and my sense from the research that I've done from, you know, listening to Zach Bush and the reading that I've done and, and the other doctors that are out there looking at this, we don't have a COVID problem. We have a gut biology problem. Got it. And I truly believe that COVID isn't a big thing. What's a big thing is we're poisoned. You know, we have spent the last 30 years being poisoned by our food. Yep. And it's sad and it's the, it's the only thing in my life for the past two years that I can look back and say, you know what? The reason I got over COVID so quickly and my blood works so great is because I eat organic at home all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here, which is okay, Please, what about, what do you know about the part where industrialized organic food still is blah, blah, blah. Like I've heard about You know, the irrigation water ditches around farms are still treated with glyphosate and Roundup and that gets into the water table. And so, you know, you're going to have some exposure. Now I'm, I'm still a proponent of eating organic, but I kind of know it's sort of like, sometimes I get pushed back around like the electric car conversation. They're like, well, that's not going to solve the problem. And it's like, no, but it's going in the right direction. It's putting money in the right direction. It's putting research in the right direction. So that's, that's my answer to the organic food thing. Yeah. Then so, I dated a guy from the Netherlands and he was uh-huh. like, organic, that's so like level B, like we call it biological, which in their yeah. world, biology is the next level up. Cause you can actually purchase permaculture food at the grocery store.
1: Oh my God.
0: Which you can't do here. Right. <laughs> so organic is their mid-level and then they have a <laughs> the higher level above that, oh which nice. is permaculture. Wow. And I was yeah. like, that's a thing. So, you know, when I was in the Netherlands, it was amazing. Yeah. What do you think about all that?
1: So we live in a very polluted world. I happen to believe that every corner of this world is polluted with something.
0: Yeah. Plastics,
1: chemicals, you you name it, we, you know,
0: If you get on the EMF it. train, it's everywhere. If you get on
1: the EMF yeah. train and then now we have 5G and, you know, it's everywhere. You're not going to get away from it do the best you can. So I actually had this conversation with a friend of mine who is a organic certification. She does organic certification. So you can get your farm organically certified. And I said to her, I said, Laura, talk to me about the food coming out of these places that are organic. And I actually was asking her about Mexico. And she said, yes, Greg, with the certifications that are in place, they're I, I'm adding this word mostly organic. Yeah. And so between those two pieces, we can only do the best that we can do. Yeah. And our best right now in the United States is buy organic or grow your own. Yeah. But there's a bigger conversation here to be had because there's the health piece of this. Yep. And I've been saying this for 15 years. We have a three-day supply of food in any grocery store in any city. And I say, we have a three-hour supply. And, you know, 10 years ago, people were shaking their head at me and saying, who's this kook? Now I get phone calls from people that say, oh, you were right. Because look what happened last March. Yeah. The grocery stores emptied. Mm -hmm. I was in grocery stores in March and April when the shelves of the grocery stores were empty. So I believe, and my whole intention is to teach people how to grow their own food. The most important thing we can be doing right now is figuring out where our food comes from and how to grow our own food.
0: Yeah. And there is a security component to that massively. And that's, that's where you and my sister would get along big time because she's got more of that I'm just an eternal optimist that believes in the good of people. And it totally bites me in the ass sometimes, but mostly uh-huh. works out. But I like to have some people around me that are a little more suspicious. And she is. Mm. <laughs> and it it just keeps, and it's like, I, I'm not committed to an us versus them conversation. It's just when panic and trauma and and circumstances shift, circumstances shift. And, you know, it. it this is going to be an uneducated statement this this is just my sense of things but when i just even like like i've been watching more netflix lately than i ever have in my life for mm-hmm. various reasons recent diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome my schedule mm-hmm. has changed a lot and and then in lockdown and i was actually watching a show that's about the old west and there's lots of these like a house in the middle of nowhere with no one around for you know n- dozens of miles at least yeah. and just that there was something innate about actually being able to sustain your own life in one spot right. mostly and go yeah. somewhere once a week or once a month. And that was it. You know, when I was a river guide, we would actually float down past old homesteads, particularly on the Green River in Utah. And orchards are a really big deal in, in Utah. And they'd yeah. work that out by using the river water for the irrigation. And there were all these, and you can still go pick apricots and wow. peaches that are just wild ish now Mm -hmm. that have been there for a hundred years when you float down the green river and you go see these and they just be like, yeah. And as soon as winter hit, they just sat still for five months. And, and like that degree of thinking we could sustain and take care of ourselves. And then I was even reading a book kind of unrelated to all of this called the boys in the boat about um, the Olympic rowers of the 1936 Mm -hmm. Olympics. And the thing that struck me in the book was this guy was a main character. He grew up in a house that his dad built. And then when he needed to, he just went out and built his house for him and his wife. And I'm like, who could do that anymore? Who could just like, oh, yeah, I've got a job and I'm going to go mill my own timber. And then I'm going to put it up and I'm going to make my own clapboard house. Like, bam, no problem. You know, and this was like fairly standard, all things considered for the 1930s. That wasn't that long ago when we think about the skill set and the information and the knowledge base that's lost for all of the information age that we're in now. Yeah. So I, I really get that of like growing your own. And I happen to be raised by some pretty hippie parents. My parents actually originally met on a commune in Tennessee. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I'm part of my, even further into this conversation is it's in my genes. You know, my mom was a part of a collective group of people who said, we're gonna do it. We're gonna work and live and eat collectively. We're gonna share everything. She said it was the craziest thing, though. They took it to like the nth degree, where you didn't even really necessarily own your own clothes, and so laundry would just happen, and your favorite pair of jeans would disappear onto somebody else. And like, oh, she's like, God. we we took it a little far, but yeah, I'll say, you know, they'd hash it all, be and they did my
1: favorite pair of jeans,
0: right? They did everything by unanimous decision. So they would have, they 40 adults living together and they would have these like epic long conversations, quote unquote, argument debates on Friday nights. There were these big meetings and like, and my mom lived there for two years. Wow. And she was, guess what? Head of the kitchen. So she processed, you know, they had a Mm -hmm. seven acre family garden that was all inner, Mm -hmm. you know crops all interplanted and diversified. And then they also did sorghum and wheat and a couple other cash crops to make money for the, for the whole farm. They debated whether they're going to have electricity or not. Mm -hmm. They did end up choosing to do it. And so, you know, I had that family conversation growing up and then I've always dwelled in this, like, what does that mean for me? And to be completely honest, like I've been pretty, Travel oriented, and so mm-hmm. like have never really put roots down to set myself up. And then like, I, like putting myself on the line, I have this thought: I'm in this house right now has a huge amount of space in the backyard. This would be an incredible place to turn, and and it's and I know what it costs me every summer to do the damn watering of the lawn and blah blah uh-huh. blah. I've only been in it for three years, and I have this debate: like if I don't think this is my forever home, and I might even move in the next couple of years. What do I do? Do I do it? Do I not do it? Plant fruit trees. Plant fruit trees. Yeah, because everybody loves that, no matter what.
1: Right, and you. Here's the thing about fruit trees, and I have a whole program in Phoenix on where I educate people about fruit trees, and then they can buy fruit trees for us from us for for the low desert. But the thing about a fruit tree is, you plant it once, and you get fruit for decades. Yeah. I have an orange tree in my backyard here at the urban farm that was planted in the 1920s.
0: That's awesome. And it still makes oranges. Yeah. It still makes
1: delightful oranges. So, yeah. plant plant fruit trees.
0: Yeah. And then you also I was just I was stalking you on your Uh-oh. web stuff. I just saw the seed the Great American Seed up. Oh, Is that yeah. still happening?
1: Uh well,
0: yeah. we've we passed the ish. Okay. So, COVID COVID
1: presented a uh, myriad of interesting dilemmas for us. Yeah. One of them was our great American seed up. And so what the, basically in a nutshell, what the great American seed up is, it's a bazaar where you can go and scoop bulk seeds. i was going to say dirt cheap, but seed cheap. Yes. And our seed scoops for say basil. Yeah. You know, normally when you go to the grocery store or go to the hardware store and you get a package of basil, you open it up and there's 20 seeds in there. Right. Hmm. And it's four bucks. Yeah. Our seed scoop is five grams. That's like a hundred times what's in a scoop of basil at the hardware store. Right. So basically what we did about six years ago in order to reactivate the local seed economy, because without seeds, you don't have local, without local seeds, you don't have local food, right? So we have to... figure out where our seeds are coming from and we have to teach people how to save their own dang seeds so you can't
0: save all seeds right what's that you can't save all seeds like not all is are they still doing that or is this a myth where like if you buy certain seeds from the grocery store or from the hardware store those plants won't regenerate seeds you can save or is that not true
1: there is some truth to that yes so there's three different kinds of seeds there's genetically modified which for the most part as home gardeners we don't have to worry about Okay. Uh, because you know the the people that make genetically modified seeds want to sell don't want to sell a three dollar packet of seed they want to sell a million dollars worth of seeds so genetic there's there's some things that we need to be concerned about about that but when buying seeds not so much okay. then there's hybrid seeds hybrid seeds are where you take watermelon A watermelon B you cross pollinate them you get a cutie watermelon that's seedless and oh my gosh amazing right yeah. So that's what they called hybrids. And hybrid seeds, while you can save seeds from them, if you can get the seeds, when you plant them, the hybridization starts to break apart. Ah, And you'll still get a watermelon. Of some sort. Of some sort. Got it. Okay. Open pollinated seeds or heirloom seeds basically come true to form. So if you plant an heirloom carrot, and let it go to seed, you get heirloom carrot seeds. They're they're pretty much an exact duplicate of your past ones, okay. of what you've planted. So you, that's why in the Great American Seed Up, in the bazaar, we only carry open pollinated seeds. So the dilemma that we had last year was, all right, we can't put, because last year, in 2019, we had eight over 800 people scooping seeds in a 10,000 square foot room. Uh-huh. It was amazingly epic. That's you can't, so Im- cool. it's like Christmas. When people come and scoop seeds, it's like Christmas. So you get, you know, at any one time, we had two or 300 people in the room. scooping yeah. seeds. It's like 300 people high on Christmas. Right? <laughs> it's, it's amazing. That's so so cool. what we did is what we, what we did is we put together com- something called seed up in a box. Where you can go to the greatamericanseedup.org and buy a, buy your own seed up. You can buy enough, basically this, you buy the seeds, the packaging and the labels to make your own seed packets Nice. or to get together with friends Yep. and make your own seed packets. Awesome. And again, remember their jumbo size seeds packets. So we've actually had more success with that. Yeah than just doing it locally here in Phoenix.
0: Okay. And so that, Um, is that like a particular time frame, or is it an ongoing thing now?
1: Now the the seed up in a box is ongoing. Awesome. Go to greatamericanseedup.org and buy, see there's videos there and you can buy a, you know, you can buy a bundle. Yeah. Uh, We had people buying them for the holidays. They would buy a bundle for the holidays. And uh, then when the seeds arrived, they split them up. And I wish I had a packet here to show you, but you get a Ziploc bag, you Mm -hmm. get enough seeds for whatever our scoop size is, which is always jumbo. And then you get a business card that we print that has all of the information about the seed and how to propagate it and everything like that. That all gets stuffed in this little Ziploc bag. And so we had people making up holiday gifts.
0: Oh, I'm so doing that. Yeah, yeah. I have so many friends like, and that's, that's one thing that I have managed is since I'm, I actually for a long time said that, you know, my mom had green thumbs. My grandmother had green thumbs. My sister was older than me. She has green thumbs. And when they got to me, like the genetics ran out yeah. <laughs> and my mom has all kinds of house plants. And when mm-hmm. I was a kid, you know, they weren't at the commune anymore, but they did put in a 400 square foot family garden in my backyard. There's pictures of baby Sarah in a laundry basket surrounded (laughs) by tomatoes that my mom's harvesting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the first five years of my life, 80, 90% of everything I ate came out of my parents' backyard or, and then supplemented a little with the local co-op. Why not? So that was stellar. And then you know, dance and ski team and soccer and kids stuff and things. And with the two kids, it started to shift and my parents started growing more flowers than food. So it it changed at one point, mm-hmm. but you know, my sister has always had a lot of passion in this area. And then I've now accumulated people around me who do a lot of really mm-hmm. awesome urban gardening and stuff. And so I support them and I will come over and bring labor. And so I got lots of people in my life that that would be nice, awesome for. So that's yeah. great.
1: When you asked me earlier again, what people could do, yeah, really, what there is to do is click into your local food system. Go to mm-hmm. a farmer's market, find your own farmer. You know, the, the, at the farmers' markets, there are farmers. Yep. Get to know them. They'll tell you what they're propagate, how they propagate it. They want. I'm sure they want. You know, they'll sh- want to share. So, plug into your local food system as much as you can. Yep. That and is really there's a, thing.
0: a resource that I'm pretty sure is still quite active called localharvest.org. Yep. Where you can go online and find what's happening in your local area, mm-hmm. and another way that I participate in—it's my favorite way to do this—is I get uh, farm shares in a CSA, community supported yeah. agriculture. Awesome! And there's a program here in Salt Lake City where you can actually go pick up at a local parking lot, or they will mm-hmm. do drop-offs for a little bit more. And so I yeah. actually have drop-off, and I found them through localharvest.org.
1: Perfect. Make sure. When you're plugging into a CSA, that it's locally grown. Yep. Here's the thing about locally grown food, and um, it's locally grown food is picked at when it's ripe. I don't know if you've talked about this on the show before, but there's something called food miles. Food miles, the average food miles for stuff grown in the United States is 1,200 to 1,500 miles. I've that said I won't plenty.
0: eat anything that's more traveled than me.
1: There you go. (laughs)
0: And that's not good enough. But, you know, trying to get my local footprint down to a 500 mile radius, it still takes consciousness. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, figuring uh, what I said earlier, figuring out where our food comes from. Yep. And grow your own. And so there is, have you talked about lectins on the show yet?
0: We, we've kept it actually not so sciencey mostly. Uh, I'm, I'm okay. at year two. We're preview of coming attractions are going to get a little bit heavier into the, there's been a lot of foundation of philosophy up till now, but, and predominantly people sharing their stories of healing and just what they've gone through, which has been really epic. So I'm, yeah. no, you can go nuts on this stuff. So lectins.
1: Lectins. My permaculture, one of my permaculture mentors calls them anti-nutrients mm-hmm. and the way they Basically, they're, you know, and I don't know the science behind it, but they, they negatively impact our health, lectins do. Yeah. And so that much I know from that perspective. Here's what I know from the food perspective. There are foods that are higher in lectins, like tomatoes and potatoes and peppers. And as a fruit or vegetable ripens on the plant, the lectins reduce. Yep. Yeah. So what happens is, is food that's harvested in Peru or in Mexico or somewhere, you know, a thousand miles away from you, they have to harvest it before it is fully ripe. That means it's loaded with lectins. And the process by which ripening happens on the trees reduces the lectins. Plus then that same food that's harvested many thousands of miles away automatically when it is harvested starts losing nutrient density
0: and it doesn't even have the nutrient density necessarily because some of the most potent nutrients are the polyphenols which are color agents Mm. it's what gives the color to the food so why we say red wine and green tea, it's it's the color, and this is a chemical property, is where the polyphenols are in that are very antioxidant rich. Well, that doesn't happen without, if the color never develops, you never get that. And so there's actually a whole nother level of nutrients. And those antioxidants were always there to protect the fruit or the vegetable itself from bugs from outside invaders, from fungal infections. So a lot of the other problems that we also have in our food system with food carrying mold and food carrying funguses, which then Mm. like grapes are notorious for having fungal problems. So they're one of the most heavily sprayed fruits to combat the fungal problem. And then you're taking in huge amounts of antifungals that are horrible for our digestive system and start to throw off the microbiome and you end up in this loop. So there's like Many layers to why to eat local and the economic reason of, you know, a dollar in your local economy circulates seven times and you're not taking it out of the community, you're keeping it in, and what that can do. Exactly. Among other things.
1: Other things, yeah. Um, So, you know, a big, big piece of the solution is eat local. Yeah. Know your farmer, figure out who's growing your food for you, grow your own. If you have kids, set up a garden with them. Because here's what I know without a shadow of a doubt. Kids don't like vegetables mostly. If they grow them, they'll eat them and love them. It is, I've seen it over and over and over again in 40 years of teaching this. stuff.
0: So I'm glad you brought that up. And I, I'm clear. I would like to have a three hour podcast with you, but I'm going to restrain myself and not do that. So we're going to start to wrap this up, but Something I've learned a lot as a naturopath, because I actually have a lot of adults who don't like vegetables either. It's very common. Right. And and especially yep. my generation, 40 somethings, we were really a lot of the beginning of the latchkey kids where both parents worked. We were in school programs until five, six, seven o'clock at night, you know, or whatever. And there wasn't a lot of home cooked meals. It was the, you know, there just wasn't, we weren't exposed to it. And so I have people come to me and they're like, Sarah, I hate to admit this, but like, I don't know what to do with these things. And I don't really like them. So a couple of things on the health side as well, and this helps with kids, a very common reason why we have aversion to meat and we have an aversion to certain vegetables is mineral deficiencies. It's the minerals in our body that allow us to taste food. And what makes vegetables interesting is the minerals in them. And so you can't taste the, I'm just going to sound ridiculous. People are going to laugh at me. The dynamic flavors of broccoli without (laughs) zinc. And then there's this loop where zinc deficiency is exacerbated by, there's not enough zinc in our food to begin with because of the deficiencies in the soil. And, when we have any sort of a high inflammation diet, it suppresses our body's natural digestive ability to produce hydrochloric acid. You have to have hydrochloric acid to absorb zinc. So you end up in this loop. So one of the first things I do with clients is I, I'm like, look, I do want you to eat six cups of vegetables a day. And they look at me like I'm an alien. And I say, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to add either apple cider vinegar or like some sort of a hydrochloric acid supplement to support mm. their tummy with meals. And then we're going to add a zinc supplement and, and Mm -hmm. there's different things out there about always supplement zinc with copper depends that take it to your local nutritionist or someone in your community about the best way to go about that. But generally speaking, we are massively zinc deficient in this country and it's a big issue with COVID too.
1: Exactly. So when, when I, I got COVID Heidi and Heidi's my partner, Sherry's the person we work with about the Lyme immediately put us on zinc.
0: Yeah. And I've actually had most of my clients on zinc this whole year prophylactically. Mm. And what's been really interesting is I've had them on zinc and magnesium and a couple other things, which actually in a previous episode went through what my top five supplements are. So you guys can Mm. go back and find that in season three, episode 13, but they were there for the immune system. But then what's been interesting is I've had so many people on them. All these other things have been getting better, (laughs) which I like knew, but I like never, most of the time I'm always trying to not like. I want you to eat your vitamins and minerals through food, not yeah. supplements. But well, the, the problem is the soil and so much is missing exactly. in that whole thing. So like
1: when I was you, back at college, yeah. when I was back at college in the mid aughts, you know, like 2003, four, I was looking at, I was looking at research that was showing that our soils, there were, there were studies that showed that our soils were deplete of minerals after world war II.
0: I'm not surprised. Yeah. And all
1: this, uh, here's the other thing about organic versus uh, conventional
0: Yeah.
1: on conventional, they throw NPK at it, nitrogen, potassium,
0: Phosphorus. whatever the third,
1: thank you. That's the lime brain sometimes happens to me. That is not the micronutrients.
0: No,
1: I, in fact, we've got a summit coming up here in, in March where we talk about soil Yeah. Soil is the, what, and I talked about it earlier, that is what we have to fix. And our food is tastier and better for us if there's lots of micronutrients in, in the soil. And what helps our plants extract the micronutrients from the soil is the microbiome of the soil column, yeah, which includes fungus, it includes, you know, bacterias. It includes all of these things that When you put any kind of chemical on them, it suppresses or kills those and therefore our food isn't as good for us.
0: Yeah. And we're certainly not like, you know, we know after antibiotics to take probiotics. We are not dousing the soil with probiotics every time there's an application of a chemical on it that is not a farming practice. But yeah. Oh my gosh, Greg, this has been awesome. And I'm, my brain's still spinning and there's so, so, we're definitely going to have to I've do this again. I've got a list. There's more. I've got a list. Yeah. There's more. I mean, there's we, more for sure. And thanks yeah. for opening the door on this conversation. It's a big passion of mine. One more resource I'm going to sneak in just to bring this component in for the protein eaters out there. There's a website called eatwild.com and it's the mm-hmm. local harvest version of getting locally sourced meats, and fish. And like, I've have mentioned this before. I have farmer friends in Idaho that have free range grass fed beef. And I just buy a side of beef from them. I'm still working on the one I bought a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm, And then I also work with a fishing cooperative in Bristol Bay, Alaska. That's a group of fishermen that got together and they said, we're going to cut out the middlemen so that we can raise our families and line catch salmon and steelhead and sustainably restore the fishery in Bristol wow. Bay. And they've done it. They got together and they said, nobody else is going to rescue us and we're going to be out of a job. Yeah. So they just flipped the switch. And so they have, there's, and you know, that's a buying club that's specific to certain cities, mm-hmm. but there are other buying clubs that you can get involved in that are sort of that same kind of nature, yeah. even sort of what you've created around the, the Great American Seed Roundup, yeah. Seed and- Up
1: great up yeah that one yeah so there the, let me just throw this in i do have a podcast as well yeah called urban farm podcast we have over 600 episodes and it's it's telling people's stories just like awesome. we did today yep. you kind of told my story yep. i i just touch base in with people and ask them for their stories and yeah and so there's a lot of great stories there
0: totally that's awesome
1: urbanfarmpodcast.com
0: Thank you, Greg. Thank you for your commitment to this, the inescapable nature of your calling. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, and thanks for sharing it here. Uh, We're definitely gonna have to have you back for more. Inspired by the success of HEAL, we are now a community of over 2,000 incredible healers. We will be launching some courses and workshops in 2021. Be the first to know about them by joining our mailing list at sarahmarshallnd.com. Thank you to today's guest Greg Peterson for his passion and courage. For a full transcript and all the resources for today's show, visit saramarshallnd.com/podcast. Special thanks to our music composer Roddy Nickpour and our editor Kendra Vicken. And as always, thank you for being here. We'll see you next time.